I don't know about y'all, but I lose track of how beautiful things are very easily. It doesn't take a whole lot. Um, I just, in the last few months, started working uh, on campus at Wake Forest. And if you have not been there, let me just tell you, it is an exceedingly beautiful place. Um, it's symmetrical. Uh, there's beautiful trees. It's surrounded with beautiful people. The architecture is amazing. The food in the dining hall, some of the best food in town, and that's a true story. And when I first got there, I was like, every day, like, wow, you know, like amazed by it. And now, it's only been like a few months, but as I drive onto campus in this beautiful autumnal scene, I'm just like thinking about like, er, the things I need to do, and I got to get back with this person, imagining everyone who could possibly be mad at me. And, um, and it's, it's not the first time that's happened. I used to live in Boone, North Carolina. Yesterday, I was up there doing a wedding, and I was like, wow, it's beautiful here. But it took like, I remember the first day that we drove into Boone with the, with the moving truck and just being like, I couldn't even hardly focus on the road because I was like, people live here. It's like Narnia up here. Um, and then it just got to be that this, that same road was just like the road I had to take to get to the grocery store. And I was thinking my thoughts. And we can go from things being like sort of amazing and breathtaking to just being uh, this normal parts of our lives that we don't even uh, remember to remember. And when Jesus tells these stories, like the one that we've heard this morning, in some ways he's a great reminder to us. Um, because he even reminds us of things that we have never even thought before, things that are long before we existed. And he has a reminder in this passage for this man and a warning. And I think it's a, it's a reminder and a warning for us too, in a similar way that we can just stop seeing what a beautiful gift the world around us is and how beautiful all the given things are and what a joy and gift they are. Um, we can forget that about all the things that we possess. And Jesus comes to remind us. So in this passage, this might feel like a very familiar, like sometimes the Bible I read it, I'm like, I cannot even imagine this situation. This one I can imagine pretty well. Um, maybe you can too if you've ever gone through sort of like an inheritance conversation within your family. Um, I'm sure that many of you have. This guy comes to Jesus. Jesus is out in a crowd and he perceives that Jesus has some kind of authority, that if Jesus says to do something, that people will do it. So he says, hey, teacher, I know you're talking about the coming kingdom and all that. That's great. I love it. I'm bored, 100%. Also, can you tell my brother, this guy over here, to, to break up the inheritance a little bit more equitably for me, please? Um, he, he's saying, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And uh, you know that, like, when it comes to money, especially inheritance, family dynamics can get very weird. Um, your great uncle goes from like the person that you always like laugh with because they tell like really funny, dirty jokes um, to like the person that you're like, my entire future hinges on what this man does. And uh, you find yourself looking at your great uncle as he gets on an age like, I want his stuff and I want it now. Um, Nobody's laughing, but so, okay. Noted. It sounds like God's got us dialed into this passage this morning, so. <clears throat> and just like when we're in those moments, we feel ourselves move away from love and joy toward possessiveness. Jesus is warning us like he's warning this man, not 
that possessions or wealth are in of themselves wrong or bad, but there is a danger that already lies in this man's heart and already lies in our hearts. And it's simply that if we get things, we will use them to protect us at all costs. He tells the story of a rich man who had such an abundant harvest that he thought to himself, what shall I do because I have more stuff than I have to put it? Now, what he does is he builds bigger barns so that he can say to himself, soul, you have ample good laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. What his possessions are doing is he is holding them so they will protect him from want. They will protect him from discomfort. They will protect him from suffering. And whether we have a lot, I mean, we all both have a lot and have a little because we know other people that have more and have less than us. But whether we have a lot or a little, this danger in our heart can arise that that calls us to use our possessions as protection against unhappiness. To use our possessions as protection against pain. And that's what Jesus is warning about. If we simply have enough stuff, then we won't have to be uncomfortable. Um, I don't think I've ever spoken with a person, including myself, that if I say, what does the, the, like the next five to ten years of your life look like? It's, it's always a variation on a theme. Like, some people don't listen to, like, metal or punk rock. They're like, it all sounds the same. But, like, our lives all kind of sound the same, too, so you might as well just listen to metal and, and punk. Because it actually isn't all the same, but we can, that's another conversation. But um, any of us, I think if we say, what's, what's our life going to look like in five to ten years? It's usually like a ten-point plan to avoid discomfort and to avoid ever having to be unhappy. I think about in, in my marriage, I'm like, my marriage is basically like two people trying to be happy while making the other person happy and not having any bad things happen at all. And we're crushing it 15 years in. Um, uh, Generally, when we think about what's the next five, ten years look like, not each of us, but most of us, we are the main characters in our story. We conceive of ourselves as the protagonist of our story, and we become like an action figure that has a lot of accessories, that our life's goal is to actually find all of the accessories that go with my action figure so that I can be more valuable, because you know action figure is always more valuable when it has all of its accessories. And what this guy says in this, uh, in this parable, honestly, just, I think, I don't know about you, I suspect about you, but I don't know about you, but it feels self-evident to me that part of what it means to be human is that you lay up ample goods for yourself. Like, isn't that just what people do? Like, that's your job. Like, that's what you do is you try to get enough stuff that you need so that you can go through your life and avoid unhappiness as much as possible. Um, sometimes it, it comes out in interesting ways. Like, I, so many places are very um, transient now. You know, it's, it's very rare to find places in our um, society, at least, where people stay there long-term, multi-generationally. And I'm not saying it's good or bad, but um, it comes with its own kind of life because... Like, we live in a place where we have lots of students that come through, or medical students, residents, all kinds of things, people coming in and out of our city. 
And it's kind of like if you're in a place short term, we think about it honestly like, well, I'm only going to be here for a short amount of time. And I'm just going to leave in a couple years, so why would I sort of expend the energy relationally to make connections? Because I'm just going to leave after a while. And like that seems really normal and logical, and, a lot, and of course it is, when the logic is I have to make sure that whatever I spend my energy for creates a, a return for me. And it happens in reverse as well. Like if you know someone, you meet someone, you're like, they're only going to be here for a year or two then we tend to withhold ourselves from others because they're just going to go in a little way. And subtly, it's su- the, the subtle creep of this, it just, it's, we don't even notice that it happens, that we move toward people and places that we know are going to be good for us long term. And there's almost always people that we naturally gravitate toward who in some way fit within what we've got going on. Um, and we rarely think, um, this isn't going to be like a shame fest, by the way, so just hang on. Um, uh, we rarely think, I wonder what these people in this place I'm not going to be in long term need from me. What do I have to offer them even for this short period of time? Or what does this person that's just going to be here for a year, um, what do I have to offer to them during this season of their life? So if you're starting to hear me say, now feel bad about that, and then we'll pray. Um, I know that's what church feels like a lot of times, and I would not want to come to church if that's what it was. So hopefully this won't be what that is for you. I hope that we can do something different than simply feeling bad about this way that Jesus calls us to. Because honestly, everything in each of our lives trains us to be like this. Like we didn't get like this by accident. And we actually didn't even choose to be like this, where we just acquire things for ourselves. This is the water that we have always swam in, that we are told that we are the center of our story, and we feel that deeply. It just feels right to us to say, I want to have ample goods laid up because that's good for me. That's what I'm supposed to be doing. It's the only way we know. And it takes a lot for us to see what feels self-evident. My phone broke a couple of weeks ago. And I was very angry with FedEx for a week, like, er, FedEx. Um, I was driving onto campus, beautiful campus, er, FedEx, where's my phone? And um, I could have been driving on the Highway 1 and been like, stupid FedEx. And um, they took forever to get my phone to me, which you probably, if you know me, heard me say, I wish I didn't have this phone. And then when I didn't have the phone, I was like, where's my phone? And um, I didn't have a phone for about a week. And what I realized when I didn't have a phone was how infrequently I see people. Like, for an entire week, I didn't see anyone that didn't go to Wake Forest or was not related to me directly. But, which is not, you know, strange, but when I had my phone, I would have felt like, oh, I see people all the time because I had this sense of feeling connected to them. I didn't even see this world. It felt self-evident to me that I'm so connected with all these people in my community It actually took losing the phone to recognize that I actually very rarely see people. And I just retain sort of light communication to make sure that I get to stay in friendships, basically. We do all these things. We want to acquire ample goods for ourselves to protect ourselves against pain or being alone. But 
and this is part of what Jesus is saying. Sometimes the, the really nice thing to do is just to tell the truth. And Jesus is like, but it doesn't work. Because this guy does all this, and yet he still has to die. I mean, I think we're all sort of doing some variation of this life, but we yet find ourselves still suffering, still experiencing pain and loss, and still facing our own mortality. So part of what Jesus is calling us to do is to say, why deal with all that anxiety? Like, what if there was a different way? What if Jesus gives us a better story? Even, like, within our marriage, if you're married, like, what if he offers us a better story than two people just trying to be happy and make the other one happy and avoid bad things happening? And all the anxiety that goes along with that. Um, I think part of the reason I come to church every Sunday, well, number one, I'm a professional Christian, um, which is super weird. But number two um, is because I'm like, what if the way of Jesus actually is what he says it is? Which is that he came that we would have life and have it abundantly. That he actually has come in order to give freedom to people like us. Uh, he says later, and Susan read this part, Fear not, little flock. Your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. What he's doing is he's trying to remind our souls, even if it's for the first time, that everything that we have and actually more than we can imagine, God has given to us because it's his pleasure. It's our father's good pleasure to give us the kingdom. And so then he goes on to say, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. He's not saying, and feel yucky that your heart is with your treasure, you bad person. He's inviting us to abundant life to see what feels self-evident to us and for us to long for a new way. Eugene Peterson puts that last piece like this. He says, the place where your treasure is, is the place you will most want to be and end up being. So the question comes for us when Jesus invites us to this way, is where our heart is longing to be a place of abundant life? And part of what Jesus shows us in his life is a completely different way, a way that's actually not about the tyranny of self and gathering things around us to protect ourselves, but actually a life that's free to give and free to be vulnerable, free to experience the world as it is and to let the anxiety of possessing go. Because you think about Jesus, like this guy in the parable, he said, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? If you think about the Lord Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, before he came into the world, he literally had everything. He's God, the possessor and king over all creation, the creator of all things. And I, like, I can like imagine him going, what shall I do with all these things? I literally possess everything. And then consider where he ended up and trace that back to his heart. If it's true that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. What did Jesus treasure? What was the place that he ended up being? I mean, just think about the, the, um, his birth. Um, 
I have witnessed three ch- uh, children being born, and it's a wild ride, y'all. Um, and uh, and I was always freaked out when one of my children was born that they handed the child to me. Because I'm like, I have germs everywhere, you know? Like they hand, I'm just like holding a, a, a baby on my, on my shirt. And I'm like, Whoa. I'm covered with germs. Um, and then they would give to my wife. I'm like, she has no germs, so she's good. Um, it would be hard in that moment where I'm freaking out about corrupting this child with my germs. It would be hard to imagine, you know what would be a better place? Let's put this baby where animals eat and sleep and use the bathroom. That sounds like a good play. And yet that's exactly where our Lord Jesus went. Part of Jesus' joy, if you read through his ministry, and you find this person of deep settledness, and joy. He is an extremely non-anxious person. Part of that joy and lack of anxiety comes from belonging to his father. He would always say, he would go to be with his father and he would say these things like, I'm only here to do what my father wants me to do. And in some ways that feels like manipulative to us, but for Jesus it was freedom. It freed him to move into the lives of others. Um, you're, ex- you're expecting this Pixar reference, so I won't let you down. Um, Jesus uh, experienced tremendous freedom to love because he was possessed by God, like Woody in Toy Story, um, always looking onto the bottom of his boot to be reminded to see Andy's name there, that he is Andy's toy, and that what gave him security and freedom in his most anxious and fearful moments. Jesus' joy came from being possessed by his father, and so can ours. That's part of the way that Jesus invites us into life with him. A life that is really a life of joy and peace and fullness and deep joy because we are with him and we belong to him. And his agenda becomes our agenda. And what if life, instead of being the action figure that your goal is to acquire all the proper accessories, you know, this, this, well, I wasn't going to say this, but um, me and Georgia have joked before about, like, all the different hats that we wear, you know, and it's like an advertising space on our head. And I remember John Bourgeois one time saying, like, his favorite is the Yeti. And this is no shade if you have a Yeti hat because they're awesome coolers. Um, But it's like, I want the world to know that I really like to keep things told for a long time. <laughs> That's one of our accessories. As I'm, as I'm acquiring all my, it's like, I can afford to keep things very cold for a very long time. Nobody ever uses words like the Ozark Trail hat, you know? Um, but if you have one, I want it. What if um, real life is in the toy bin? with all the other action figures and all their other weird accessories, sharing life together, being taken apart and put back together, because there's a lot more interesting storylines in the toy box. So if we come to the place where this man is and we think about our possessions or we think about our time that we have or we think about our gifts and we think, what shall I do with what I have, like this man asked in the story, St. Augustine has an answer to that. 
uh, St. Augustine was a man who loved Jesus like 1600-ish years ago, African guy. And he said, the bellies of the poor are safer storehouses than our barns. He's really like riffing on Jesus there. The bellies of the poor are a safer place to keep food than in the refrigerator. Part of what he was experiencing is this secure freedom and joy that comes from simply taking the things that we think are ours, recognizing that they're a gift, and sharing them with the world. Um, I just remembered this story the other day um, because I was uh, coaching soccer and a girl on my team, um, she had like a, she didn't control the ball right and ended up in a goal as every player on the team makes a ton of mistakes the entire game and sometimes they end up in goals. Sometimes then the game ends up one to nothing, but that's okay. And, um, and I wanted to be like, I, I've been there. And I started thinking to myself, am I lying when I say I've been there? And I was like, I remembered a story that I hadn't thought about in a long time. And it was when I was, it was my last year of Little League, and you'll soon know why. Um, uh, this guy, Glenn, was coaching our team. He lived with me and my mom for like six years, and he was like a, sort of like an uncle, daddish figure, like a man in my life, great guy. Um, we're still in touch. And um, he was coaching the team, and he was really into it. Now, the difference between me and everyone else on the team, truly, was that they were all baseball players, and I was me. And um, was not good. I played whatever the minimum number of innings is. Um, Peter, who has coached our Redeemer softball team, could attest to my baseball skill. And, uh, but in this game, we were in the playoffs. We had made it to the second round of the playoffs because in the first round, the other team forfeited. And um, the rest of my team was pretty good, and we were down one run. This is a true story. You're going to think I'm exaggerating the story, but I assure you that I'm not. Um, we were down one run. It was our, the last inning. I think it was, we played six innings. We had two outs, and we had bases loaded. Okay. And I'm up to bat. Much to everyone's deep, deep disappointment. Um, I think Glenn was like, I really messed up. I should have played him at the beginning of the game. But, um, get his two innings in and get him out of there. And uh, so I'm there. I'm very freaked out by this moment. I don't think I got a hit this entire season, TBH. And um, I'm standing there, and I have two strikes. Bases are loaded. Were I to walk, simply just to walk, it would walk in a run that would tie the game. Okay. So the pitch comes in, and I'm like, but I'm not walking, suckers. This is my moment. And so I gather myself. And the pitch comes in, and I came out of my shoes swinging at this pitch. And I got a hit, meaning the ball hit me <laughs> when I was about, like, here. The ball struck my body, which, had I not swung, would have meant that I got first base and we walked in a run. Uh, literally just the pain of getting hit and doing nothing would have scored my team, but instead I was out. I struck out in my last little league at bat at a pitch that hit me and cost my team the game. Part of it was because I was like, all I had to do was stand there and take the pain. But I wanted to do it myself. And the gift would have been painful 
of being hit by a pitch. But all I had to do was accept it for my teammates. Like, it didn't have to be about me. And now I think about that story. I think about that story yesterday, and I was like, man, Jesus really leaned into one, you know. When the pitch came, he, he leaned in, and he took that pain in a sense so that the entire team could thrive. Um, one, one of the gifts that God has, has put in my Sarah Beth was just up here. She's up here, and she's visiting her family, but also she's raising support because she lives by support. And I borrow Sarah Beth's car when she's out of town. Um, and I love borrowing cars for that reason. Every time I get into the car, I'm like, this is a gift. Um, it's not even my car. But right now it's Sarah Beth's car because she's in town. But I'm back in this job like Sarah Beth and some of y'all have been, and all of our cross-cultural workers are, where you raise support for your job. And it's actually a gift because every time you get paid, you're like, I literally am getting paid because of other people's charity. And um, I used to struggle with that. And one day a friend told me, you know, charity is just, uh, support is just a nice word for charity. But charity is just a long word for love. And Jesus invites us into the way of love. And uh, we've been doing, this is, this is it, the sermon's over. But um, we've been doing this series on the ordinary Christian life. And um, all the parts of ordinary Christian life. And I guess I wanted to present this parable to us to help us see kind of how we function and help us to long for a new way in Jesus. Because if we're going to do this thing with Jesus... We need to get him to give us a profound sense of being possessed by one another and possessing one another and being possessed by God together. So I'm going to pray and ask him that he would uh, do that. Um, Lord Jesus, um, you have given everything in order to give us life. Where your treasure is, there also your heart will be. And Lord... Um, the people in this room and your people across time are your treasure. And Lord, you love us. And you give us so much so that we can share it and experience the freedom of getting a gift and sharing a gift. And Lord, sometimes we're just really bad at, at receiving gifts and really bad at giving gifts. And so, Lord, we need you to show us a new way. I pray especially for our community with our time, which feels like our most precious resource. Lord, would you help us to think about our time with the question, what shall I do with this time? Who is this time for? And, Lord, I pray that you would help us not to hear that with a voice of shame or like, now I'm supposed to go do something different because that's what I'm supposed to do. But to feel free and to be freed by you, which is our life, to be freed by you. Um, that we would find this beautiful way of existing with you where we actually do believe that it's more blessed to give than to receive. Uh, help us, Lord. We, we need your help desperately, and we want beautiful things from you. So, Lord, teach us the way and give us your spirit. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.